right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hello. How are you holding up? Good. I'm wireless. I'm on Bluetooth. Ooh, me too. Uh, Pat lets me borrow his headphones only for recording. He's very strict about it. I can't borrow them for any other time. He's very sensitive. So you're just like waving your arms around, pacing your apartment, like free. This is what true freedom is. Yeah, but I'm trying to learn because when I used to, when I was a kid, this is dating myself, we didn't have cordless phones Mm -hmm. for a while. And then we finally got a cordless phone. But I remember vividly sitting next to the stand for the cordless phone because I was so used to just doing it with a corded phone. So I'd never walk around. I would just stand close to it because I I just didn't even think about moving. (laughs) Because do you remember when you were when you were younger, like if you were talking to a friend on the phone, would you just like walk around a room with the cord and just be like wrapping the cord around something and then unwrapping the cord around something? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's I used to do that. And then when we got a cordless phone, I would still kind of walk in the same kind of area that would be a corded like where the cord could reach. So it was, mm-hmm. it was useless to have a, a cordless phone. Well, for you, it's a, a for real me. rule follower. I think for other people, it was more freedom because then that meant I could like talk to my friends in my bedroom as opposed to like our kitchen or my parents' room, which I think were the only two rooms that had a phone. Yeah, see, I could never be a doctor without borders because I'd say, give me a border. <laughs> I just need to know where I can go and where I can't go. Because I get the idea of Doctors Without Borders, but there are places where you can and can't go. So just be honest with me. Whisper it in my ear. I won't tell anybody. Just where are the borders? I need structure. You do. You thrive under structure. I wonder, we're both Leos. And Mm -hmm. is that a Leo thing, like needing structure? I don't, I feel like everything that they say about Leos is always like, you're a vain bitch who loves being the center of attention (laughs) i mean i'm that yeah me too you love your hair love it but Uh yeah i because i feel like i pat always needs a lot of structure i need structure you need structure i don't know any then it's gotta be then yeah i think it's control like i think leos need control Mm -hmm. and structure is control because i do think we'll we will we like to know what our boundaries are, but we will push against those boundaries if we if they don't work for us. Yeah. And this is where Pat is totally going to hate the podcast because we're talking about he astrological signs. so mad about astrology, and I literally have an astrologer that I like talk to every six months. <laughs> you are Zooming with an astrologer. Oh, we just go over the phone. I would totally Zoom. She's great. Michelle Prentice, if anyone's looking. Um, oh, Oh, she, yeah. you were on. She was I, on my listen, old podcast. Yeah. That's, I was trying to remember when I heard a conversation you guys had. Yeah. I mean, if anyone out there wants to know about dating through the signs, uh, my old podcast, Ghosted Stories, we had Michelle on. She's fantastic. And she sort of walked us through what each sign is like and what it's like to date each sign. I mean, in a general way, because your sun sign isn't your only thing, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And she's she's a lot of fun. So. Um, yeah, to plug, uh, to plug a three-year-old podcast. 
Listen, people have a lot of time. All right, guys, want to take a second to talk to you about a fun new series coming out in May from Kensington. It is Island Affair from the Key to Love series by Priscilla Oliveras. USA Today bestselling author Priscilla Oliveras launches a new series set in Key West and filled with humor, Latinx culture, and fun family dynamics perfect for summer beach reading. When her flaky boyfriend ditches her on her family's vacation, a social media influencer recruits a Cuban firefighter paramedic to play her fake fiancé so she can maintain the image of her picture-perfect life. Pick up Island Affair from the Keys to Love series by Priscilla Olivares coming out this month. We have somehow never done a Joanna Shoup book before, and I am a Joanna like super fan. I love her books. I think I've read them all. Um, Joanna shoot it right into my veins is what I always say. Um, <laughs> so I am really excited that we did. And we picked this book ultimately because in a f- episode, a few episodes ago, Ruin of a Rake by Cat Sebastian, we mentioned something about a train. And then because we truly have the best listeners in the game, they uh page wrote on the episode that we posted on the learning the tropes troop uh she wrote okay i couldn't resist here are two railroad recommendations chasing cassandra by lisa claypass the hero is a railroad magnet and tycoon by joanna shoop the main characters meet on a railroad platform close proximity trope on a train and i was like we got to read tycoon now because somebody's requested it a train i this is the month of ringers, so uh, so that's what we read this week. Do you want to judge the cover? This cover was interesting because the gentleman on the cover, I did not find to be too a- appealing uh, looks-wise. You're alone he, in that, Clayton, I got to say. You, you love this guy. He's super sexy, and I pictured him as Ted. I didn't picture him as Ted because Ted was, I don't think Ted was as n- handsome as this guy is supposed to be, right? Yeah. He was more of a presence guy. He's more of a guy that had a presence to him, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't love this cover, but I didn't hate this cover. I don't think this cover does justice to how great this book is. I'm so happy you loved it. I mean, honestly, I was pretty sure you were going to love it. I I was confident. What is there not to love? Yeah. And that it's a novella. And I feel like I've been, you know, seeing a lot of people talk about how hard it is to get back into reading now. You know, people's concentration isn't where it is normally. Read this novella because it is just a quick bite of perfection. Yes, it gives you everything that you want without the without having to really concentrate as much as you normally would. And I'm not mm-hmm. any other time I would say, hey, just concentrate for a book. What what's so hard? It is very hard to concentrate on anything <laughs> right now. Yeah. But what did you think of the cover? You you love this cover. Well, I want it so this is part of a three book series, the Knickerbocker Club. And so it's like Tycoon, Baron um and magnate and all the covers are similar like this but they all have a different colorway so this is like a gold colorway he's standing above uh grand central terminal which is cool you see like those beautiful windows that are there um 
And I, I mean, I think he just had a very strong presence. Like he, he looks very self-assured. I mean, I think the cover model is handsome. I hear what you're saying though, Ted, she mentions at the beginning that she doesn't think he's like very handsome, but obviously she changes her mind pretty quickly. Um, but I really like this cover. And I think also sometimes novellas can get the short end of the stick cover wise. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like this doesn't, this like looks like a good cover. I agree. The greatness of this book, I don't think is reflected in the cover. I don't know that it could like what, well, you like to imagine cover sometimes. So what did you imagine? Like if you could make the cover for Tycoon? Well, usually I imagine the cartoon cover. Okay, so what's the cartoon cover for this? And I think the cartoon cover would be Clara and Ted. Now, is it Clara or Clara? I mean, I I would say Clara, but... Right. I think it's just like a regional accent thing. So it's like if you say Clara, I think it's the same. Because again, we will be lambasted for this. I will never forget. I will never forget that email that we got. Uh, no, Clara, it haunts us every day. And esp- it does. And especially that we were saying the wrong name in a clay pass book. And I think that's the thing that hurt us the most. And I don't know why we both had like this thing where we both thought the wrong name was the right name and kept saying it. And yeah, I'll never forgive myself. So whoever wrote that in, just know it haunts us to this day. Yes. So mission accomplished. <laughs> Clara or Clara, it would be her and Ted, I got that one right, on the top of a train, and it's a speeding train, Mm -hmm. and the crooked-nosed man would be chasing them. Okay. And he'd be be holding onto her hand, and, you know, her dress would be waving in in the breeze, and he'd be, like, standing in front of the crooked man protecting her and the crooked man would be coming at them menacingly Ooh, so it'd be like a real action shot yeah but it would be done in that like fun cartoonish flavor of like red white and royal blue and stuff like Mm -hmm. that i don't hate it if there's anyone out there who has any artistic ability and is very bored let us know what you think of that cover If, if you could create it that would be really cool we've already talked a little bit about it but clayton what is this book about so this book is about Ted Harper, who is a rich bank owner who is on his way to St. Louis, who, while he's waiting at Grand Central Station, Clara, or Clara, comes up to him and pretends that they are together in order to get on the train because she is running away from somebody. And he goes along with it. And what happens is... I don't want to give away because we'll talk more into it is that she is being she is being chased, but Ted isn't so sure because he's a rich guy and he always has women trying to fool him into uh, marrying them or giving them money and things like that. So he's Mm -hmm. a little reticent, but he falls in love with her. And eventually at the end, and this is all in like 107 pages, he asks her to marry him in a very lovely scene with her family all around, which is great. Yeah. So that's a very, very short synopsis of this book. Yeah. It's, 
because when we had Ruby Lang on um, and she talked about novellas with us and why she loved novellas so much. And, you know, I might be wrong, but I feel like sort of the gist of what she was saying is like you have these big stories, but how can you just like condense it into, you know, under 200 pages? And if you can do that well, that's such a skill and that's so beautiful to read because it is like almost like a snapshot of this person's life. And it did make me want more. You know, I wanted to know more about like her life before Ted or her life after, but it in a way that makes the characters feel alive for me where I'm like, oh, I wonder what they did after that or, or where what they saw or what their life was like, what their wedding was like, as opposed to sometimes books that feel a little bit padded and you're just like, all right, come on, let's get on with it. There's never like a page wasted that I was like trying to get on with it. I loved yes. every minute of it. Clara or Clara is a heroine you fall in love with immediately. She has everything. She is like industrious and she's a dreamer and she wants to work hard and she loves what she does. She works at a perfume counter at a um, department store and you know, historically, sort of these sort of positions for women were pretty new during the Gilded Age, which is when this takes place. Um, and they were such a source of freedom for a lot of women. So to see, you know, she's 21 in the book or 22, but that, you know, she grabbed life by the horns like that, but also really loves helping people. She works at a perfume counter and she loves perfumes and scents. And I just loved that whole everything about that and then well you know when she sees her boss being murdered and she has to go on the run she's so smart and quick and you know jumps on ted you know plays this whole charade of trying to get him to take care of her and to sort of throw people off the scent um that she just felt so real and like such a real person and such a person that you root for so immediately. Well, I don't know. What did you think of Clara? Because I feel like I could just, this could be like an hour of me just talking and that's boring and no one wants to hear it. No, uh, no. I, I loved her and I thought that she was so well drawn immediately. Just like you said, it was such a feat of good, concise writing that you just knew from, like you said, where she worked at this time showed who she was Mm -hmm. and the fact that she loved her work and the fact that she was passionate and I did love the fact that yeah she was sexual just had not had sex yet well and she really drove that whole sex scene it you know she was pushing it forward she was asking for what she wanted which was great to see because I feel like you know both of us love historicals, read a ton of historicals. And more often than not, it's sort of like not the man pushing, but it's sort of like he's leading it and he's the one and, and the person is so unsure of what's happening to her body. But if it like, uh, I feel like Clara is somebody who's masturbated a few times in her life. Like she knew what she wanted. She knew what was going to happen and yeah. she wanted it and she asked for it. And I loved that about her. Yes, that sex scene. I mean, the sex scenes in this book were great. Mm-hmm. And that first sex scene, he's trying to not have sex with her. He's like, I want to give her pleasure, but I need to control myself. And she just wouldn't allow that. She was, 
don't don't tell me that something's going to be a mistake before I even get a chance to do it was her thought which I love and that's just her in a nutshell mm-hmm. and I like Ted too cuz Ted was kind of starchy yeah but you know he got he did get unstarched you understood why he wouldn't trust her which a lot of times that's a fault of a hero. And I think in this case, since he was a rich guy and assumed she knew who he was, which she didn't, which also I liked because it was like, dude, okay, you own this bank, but not everybody knows who the fuck you are. Not everybody's up on every bank owner in the world. Right. And this was a time also where you wouldn't have necessarily seen his picture. So it's like, how would she possibly know just by looking at him who he was. She thought he was like a bank manager. Like she thought he was a overworked just bank underling who was sent to do uh, uh, do something and was put upon when really he was the big muckety muck. But mm-hmm. I did, I, I liked him too. And I did like that the way he conducted himself in the sex scenes where it was very sensual and respectful, but not, unbelievably so for the time Mm -hmm. like it was it didn't feel like oh well this guy there she's trying to graft how a person would have a sexual encounter in 2020 as compared to back in this day i still believed everything that he was doing he was just a very like uh giving and compassionate lover except for that when they first kiss she she thinks he's a bad kisser because he doesn't he he doesn't commit to the kiss and that's in her head yeah well i think she also like surprised him he didn't know her and kissed her out of the blue i'm like i can imagine he probably wasn't putting his best behind that yeah but but that's kind of the worst fear is like am i a bad kisser and is just nobody telling me well, I think if people continue to want to kiss you, you're probably not a bad kisser. Yes, yes. Like, I think you could tell if you're a horrible kisser, but is it like, are you like a great kisser? I think that's the thing is like, I think I want to be like a great kisser where it's it's memorable anytime I've kissed somebody as opposed to, oh, it was good. It was fine. You know? Yeah. But I think that's every every everybody wants to be really, really good at that kind of thing. I don't think that's like an unnatural thing to want to to be. Yeah. Should we say if anyone out there is kiss Clay, you know, email us, let us know how it was. No, let's not do that. I don't know if anybody <laughs> who's ever kissed me has listened to this. Well, listens to this podcast. Yeah. Probably not. I mean, yeah. I don't just give it away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these kisses are precious. Yeah. Uh, but it, it has been a while, so I don't know if the next time I kiss somebody, I probably will not be on my A game. Well, also, I think it depends on, like, the person that you're with, and it's about sort of matching that person, and it's about sort of, like, paying attention to them and reading them, and I think that's what makes it good, too. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Will from the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. We're proud to be part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Our show is for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. 
New episodes are available every Monday. You can find us at BigGayFictionPodcast.com and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We hope you'll join us soon. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Well, I love Ted, too, because I I think it's like sometimes you can be uh, if you have heroes who are trying to keep themselves away from the heroine, it can feel false. But I think it made sense for Ted that he was also like a self-made man and so insanely wealthy and had had all these, you know, women throwing their daughters at him and all these things happen that he would be, well, also because it's like, it's wild. Like, I think we read mm-hmm. so many romances that we no longer notice when things are wild, but like, it's wild that she ran up to him in Grand Central Terminal, started making out with him, calling him her husband, and he was not like, get the hell away from me, you psycho. He was sort of like, yeah, let's see where this goes. And then um, he ultimately says that he will like take care of her and help her get where she wants to go because he's meeting with this couple, the Webbers, who he wants to uh, loan them money for their beer making company, their brewery. Yeah. And uh, he feels like he needs a woman to help and... and Well, because Mrs. Weber is very hard to deal with uh-huh. according to Ted. But the honest truth is he wasn't talking to her. So she was upset because she was one of the, she, it was her father's company and she knew more about brewing than her husband did. And nobody was giving her the time of day. Mm-hmm. So that's why she was being a pill. It wasn't because she just has a bad uh, attitude. It's because she felt disrespected. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. Well, something I liked about, or I loved about Clara too, and it's like, I have a friend like this as well, who, you know, I'm from New England, uh, you know, from Puritan stock. So we don't really ask questions of people. It would be impolite. And so Clara just asks the question very plainly, where she's like, well, why don't you like him? And then people are forced to answer. And it's sort of like you get this insight Um, And I have a friend like that, too, who will just go up to people and ask, like, uh, you know, very blunt questions. But people end up really loving her for it because you're they're able to open up. Um, And so I like that she just sort of like does wear her heart on her sleeve and just like genuinely has a curiosity about people. And sort of that's where all of her questions come from. I think bluntness gets a bad rap because Mm -hmm. the people who come out and are like, hey, I just I'm just blunt well, if you're an asshole and you're blunt, then your questions and your statements are going to be on the asshole side. But if you come from a genuine interest, if you are somebody who is genuinely interested in what people have to say and want to cut through some of the small talk to get to the bottom of an issue, but your heart is in the correct place, then bluntness is welcomed. Clara is somebody that has a purer heart and is actually interested in what people have to say and their feelings and so her bluntness does not come off as rudeness yeah so she charms the webbers and then he ends up buying her a ton of clothes and there's all this back and forth of like her not wanting to accept it her thinking that he's going to want more from her because of it all their thoughts back and forth as to what are the intentions of this person all Mm -hmm. rang true to me I, I love that about this book is that there is never a false note 
where you're like, well, he wouldn't think this about her. It all mm-hmm. made sense. Other than, like you said, the the setup, which is crazy and a very romance novel, tropey way for them to to get together. Otherwise, I don't think there is any false note. The one thing that was a little bit of a stretch, I think, was when so she gets her dress that she was wearing cleaned and when she gets it back because they stop at certain places along the way and they're able to take baths and they're able to get clothes cleaned because these train trips are forever yeah he he receives the dress and the guy who brings the dress says oh this envelope was in her dress pocket or whatever and what's in it is counterfeit money so Ted thinks, oh, she has counterfeit money, therefore she must be a phony, she must be a grifter. But what turns out to be the case is that the reason why she was on the run is because she was given an envelope to give to her boss, Mr. Ross, and she walks in and he's being strangled by a thug and there's a cop with a crooked nose there and she runs away and she just has the envelope on her and doesn't give it any second thoughts. So when it's found, she forgot that she had it. She didn't even look in to see what was inside it. But she refuses to explain it to Ted because she says, you should believe me. You should have faith in people. And I shouldn't have to tell you. I told you it's, I didn't know that it was there and that it's not mine and you didn't believe me. Yeah. Okay. You do need to explain it a little bit more. Just because it is like, what is it, $1,500 in fake money? Yeah, something like over 2000 It's crazy. Yeah, it was like 2500 or something like that, which is yeah. a lot of money even now, but a lot of money back then. So it, it, it did set up a false kind of growth moment for Ted when I think in real life it's like, explain the counterfeit money. It's that simple. Say, oh, you remember how I went to that office? Well, I had, they gave me this to, to give to them. Right. Well, it, yeah. And it's also like she had been lying to him on the trip about other things. So, and also the trip was only like a few days long. So mm-hmm. it's not ridiculous for him to be like, well, two days ago you were lying to me. This is a lot of money. You are clearly somebody who doesn't have this much money normally. Like what's going on? But then, yeah, she should have just been like that. Oh, that must have been what I was bringing to Mr. Ross, because also like they're trying to figure out why someone's after her, that the money is a big component of that. And I think also she could have said that and he could have still not believed her, even though it was the truth. Yes, Um, I think that could have been what happened. That would have that would have like accomplished the same beat. But I think it's a small thing, too. But he does need to learn to trust her. And this is also after they have had sex too. So I understand her being a little bit miffed about it. But also like this is back in the day where you couldn't just go on Google or Facebook and look up Clara and be like, Oh, okay. So is she a phony or not? You know, like there's no way to know unless you see like a wanted poster at the post office whether or not the person that you are with is a, you know, flim flam artist. 
right and he and he is like the head of a giant corporation so it's not ridiculous that people would be after him or who would be trying to take advantage of him you know I get why he was being overly cautious. And I also get why her not explaining where the money came from would be so annoying and I would be pissed too. Yeah. And I th- I mean, the thing though was like the initial lying on her part was to protect him because she thought that he was just some schlub who worked at a bank and she didn't want to involve him in right. her issues in New York because she thought, oh, I don't want to get this guy hurt or killed because she thought he was essentially powerless. She didn't know she had a very powerful weapon at her disposal, a guy who could just make this all go away. Yeah. And that's a moment where she also learns that he's Ted Harper or the Theodore Harper. Harper, who like when she says his full name, she's like, Oh, I should have made that connection myself. But I'm like, that makes <laughs> sense too. Because if you just said Ted Harper, like you don't automatically think like, well, what's that short for? And who could he be? Like, yeah, it is funny how bad she was at reading him from the beginning where she was like, Oh, he's a bad kisser. He's just shy. You know, sort of whenever he was being more quiet, she was like, oh, he's just very shy. He doesn't really know. But he's a guy. He's a guy who would exclusively fuck married women. Yeah. So he He was a bit of a scoundrel. I think also back then it's like there's all these issues with that, like not having birth control that if you were a married woman and it was sort of a marriage of convenience, it was easy to, to sort of have an affair because if there was a child, you could sort of pass it off versus like if you were having an affair with somebody and having sex with somebody and there was a child and you were a single woman unmarried, you, it was your life became very difficult, if not impossible. So like I get the married woman thing. Yes. And well, when he has sex with Clara, he pulls out. Yeah, which is I like that too. It shows that he cares about her. Yeah, because he didn't want to. He didn't want to knock her up. He didn't want to ruin her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. What a stand-up guy. Yeah, he was. He was a stand-up guy. I. Uh, yeah, I. This book gave me everything I wanted. It. You know, it's. I haven't ever done a train trip. And at this point, I might never. Uh, <laughs> but there, I love the romanticism of the railroad, the sense of, you know, having a car to yourself and then going to the dining car and yeah. having food brought to you. And there, there, I feel like it would have been something I would have wanted to do is just like take a train trip across America or something. Like, I just yeah. feel like that would have been a cool thing to do. And of course, listen, I'm not saying it could never happen, but it's not going to happen in the any near distant future. Yeah, well, here's the big question. And I think this is like such a no-brainer, so it's not even worth asking, but we have to because it's part of the show. <laughs> Would you fuck them? Yes and yes. A hundred percent, I'd fuck her. She seemed so hot. Mm-hmm. He was a guy, and these I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of finding the guys that I like the most in these. They're not always the most handsome guys, but they have presence. Right. That, I think, is something that I've really unlocked in this whole experience is it's more important for me when it comes to men, the presence, than the package, right? So what they look like doesn't necessarily make them attractive 
they have to have some sort of gravity. They have to have some sort of pool that Mm -hmm. makes them attractive because, you know, you could be a himbo and just walk into a room and you disappear. But someone like Ted is not the best looking guy, but then has that presence. And then when you get him naked, he's powerful as a naked man. I think that is the dream scenario. Yeah, like a Marcus from uh, Lillian's book, The Wallflower yes. Book. Yeah. Marcus, I think, way. is the epitome of that where he's yeah. not the best looking guy, but he has that presence. He is the he is the planet that everything orbits around. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the the hero that I most love. And she just seemed like smoking. Yeah, she seemed great, and also he seemed great. I mean, during that sex scene, she were in her point of view and he like gets up to walk to like get a cloth for her. And she sees his backside and she was like, Ooh. And I also was like, Ooh, I like, I felt the same way. Like I had seen it. Like I was a little scandalized. I was like, yeah, this is great. I mean, I like, do you work out? (laughs) That is the dream. I want to walk away from somebody and then be like, Oh, do you work out? (laughs) But then the great answer is no. Because he you just have no. that body. That's just the body yeah. you have. Yeah. What a dream. I mean, this was a great book. I feel like we haven't talked about it for too long, but it's like, I don't know what else to say. It was perfect. And I loved it. And everyone should read it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think if if you're trying, definitely if you're somebody who has been trying to get back into reading and needs a little just hot, quick romance injection this is a book to start with. I think we need to do another Joanna Shoup at some point. Oh, sure. Because yeah. I was just like, this text is like butter. There's nothing. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like a good, lightly salted butter. And there wasn't too much of it. It's a yeah. perfect amount. Well, she writes full length novels now, mostly. Um but yeah, I 100% agree. And maybe, yeah, we'll put out the call. If you have a favorite Joanna Shoup book, let us know. I know she's she is coming out with a new one, The Prince of Broadway, I think soon. Her newest series is like These Sisters. And oh my God, is it so good. Um, the series is called Uptown Girls. So the first is The Rogue of Fifth Avenue. And then there's The Prince of Broadway which I just finished in is actually maybe we're going to do that one. Cause you are going to die for Florence, the heroine. She's amazing. She wants to run a gaming hell for women. She's the coolest. And the hero is named Clayton. Clayton, we got to do it. Well, why was this not, <laughs> how did you just bring this up now? I need to know all characters that are named after me. Yeah. Oh, you'll, that's a great one. And then The Devil of Downtown is coming out soon. I tried to get The Devil of Downtown on NetGalley and they rejected me, which feels right. <laughs> no, how can they? Shoop was like, we don't want you in our club. It just makes me want to be part of the club more. Okay, so here's what I got to say. NetGalley, come on. This is, I don't want to toot our horn, okay? But this is a important podcast right like we're tastemakers i'm not gonna i'm not gonna just act like that's not the case 
you gotta, you know, you give to us, we give back to you. Like, yeah. I will never give a good review for something because I got a free copy of a book, but you will get our honest opinion and you're going to get a little bit of promo, right? You're going to get the word out. So listen, if Erin Leaf asks you for a galley of a romance book, you give her the galley, okay? Like, you give her the galley because she's going to read it and her opinion matters. That's all I got to say. NetGalley, usually, they're great. I use NetGalley all the time, and I get approved for stuff, and I love that website, but you got to know who the, you got to know who the the people are that you can't cross. Wait, now that I'm thinking about it, it might not have been NetGalley, it might have been Edelweiss. Either way. Okay. I was Edelweiss. (laughs) Edelweiss. Listen to what I'm about to say. Don't fuck with Aaron Leaf. You fuck with Aaron Leaf, you fuck with the troop. You fuck with me, which, you know, whatever. Fuck with me as much as you want. I don't do anything. <laughs> you're fucking with the troop. You're fucking with learning the tropes. You're fucking with producer Patty, which I won't even get into it. All right. We didn't even mention producer Patty. Yeah. This guy's a heavy. This guy, he don't take shit. All right. He makes things happen. He's a Ted Harper kind of guy. So, I yeah. wish. Yeah. Edelweiss, is it? Is that what it's called? Yeah. When Aaron Lee fast for a galley... You, you give her a galley, okay? That's all I'm going to say. No, I'm very, I'm fine with it. I mean, I also have already pre-ordered it, so I'm buying it no matter what. So I guess that's, so we've decided that we're reading uh, The Prince of Broadway. Great. Oh, yeah, that's going to be so great. Oh, you're going to lose your goddamn mind, I promise. Okay, not <laughs> to oversell it, sorry. I mean, let make your own decision. <laughs> no, I think you have a pretty good feeling as to what i will like and not like i i think i've i've maybe once or twice surprised you about stuff Uh that i didn't like but most of the time at this point we kind of know each other's tastes i have a feeling you're gonna like clayton anyway shall we do goodreads list yeah it's my favorite part okay so i mean not on a ton of lists which i think is to be expected this came out in 2016 it's a novella but uh so it was a it was on a lot of like best of lists you know, but I don't add that to Goodreads list because it's sort of like, you know, what's the point? Um, okay, so Gilded Age romances. I'm assuming that's true. Yes. Historical romance with unusual settings. Yeah, because I mean, these th- this and the other book that was mentioned were only two train romances that we've heard of. Yeah, and I there's definitely other books where pe- they're on trains and even in private cars, but this is the only one where they're like pretty much all the action takes place on on a train. Um Empire historical romance novel set in New York City. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was, well, partly. They're New Yorkers. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it takes place between New York City and St. Louis. I would actually say, though, I would actually say no. I would say take it off the list because there's parts in New York, but the bulk of it is not. Okay. So if you're reading this to, if you're reading this book because you think it's going to be a New York-centric book, you would have been misled. Fair. So take it off the list. All right. Clara. It's just people named Clara. Um, yeah. 
Romance in the Big Apple. We've already established that. Um, that it's not. Reconstruction era, Gilded Age, and World War One romance in America, 1866 to 1919. I mean, listen, you're talking to a guy who went to Catholic school until eighth grade. So history was not our forte unless it had to do with Jesus. So I'm assuming that that's the time period. But I don't yeah. know. Billionaires, millionaires, tycoons, and other utterly rich romance heroes. Yes, he is a tycoon. Uh, Rom Book Love 2020 slump busting novellas. Okay, I don't know if it's the Bluetooth, but what were those words that you said? Um, so romance book love 2020 slump busting okay, so, novellas. So that's romance like that's just like a weird way to say something right yeah i think this is like it it might be like an instagram account or a blog or something that started their own list okay i don't so i don't have time i don't have time to decode your list so i'm gonna pass on that one i'm not gonna say a yes or no wait slump busting novellas a novella that busts your reading slump yeah slump busting i couldn't hear what I didn't, oh. but the thing is, it doesn't together. It's just word soup. If you said slump busting books, I'd say yes. But if you add the other thing, it it's it. My mind says this doesn't make sense together. I'm checked out. Okay, next time I'll know. I'll cut off the the beginning of it. Um, but no, that's so- the way the list is. You don't edit the list. These are the okay. lists that go out to people, and they have to organize it in their minds mm-hmm. so this is not a good a well-titled list <laughs> i disagree but i get it okay i think it's hard too that you're not looking at it so it's harder to make sense of when you hear it but like looking at it it makes sense uh all right the last list is historical but aren't movie- most people being read these lists on podcasts isn't that how most people get their goodreads lists <laughs> Yeah, not everybody has one of their friends read these lists to them. (laughs) And then they get to judge if something is on the list or off the list. I guess maybe I'm just privileged. I didn't realize I I need to check my privilege, I guess. (laughs) Um, Okay. And then the final list is historical romance, short stories, collections, and anthologies. Yes, this is a short story. Novella. So, yeah. All right, that's that's all the lists. Um, Yay. Clayton, what are your tropes? Rich hero, working class heroine, New York lovers, age difference, train romance, crooked cops, or crooked parentheses nosed cops, <laughs> for, quick first kiss, because they kiss pretty early, and marriage proposal in front of family oh that's sweet yeah what is your tropes uh starchy hero gets unstarched because you know he starts pretty buttoned up um Mm -hmm. poor heroine rich hero talkative heroine the hero's obsessed with his job like a workaholic it sort of seems like he hasn't been able to have much of a social life because of his job um this is a trope that happens every once in a while. It's like, if I keep my pants on, she's going to say chase. Like, that's, like, coming up with a rule for, like, while they're having 
like in a sexual situation of like, well, the pants are on, so everything's going to be okay. That's a great um, one. Forced proximity, a road yes. trip romance, pretty much. Um, love on the run because they're trying to outrun someone. Uh, hero saves heroin from a fight that happens at the end. The crooked cop gets her and he's beating her up and Ted comes and saves the day. Uh, that was cool. He beat his ass. Yeah. That's sexy. Um, the heroine is driving the sex scene, which is great. A bad first mm-hmm. kiss, redheaded heroine, capitalist hero, which is the only mark against Ted. It sounds like he committed some uh, light fraud to get where he was, which I don't love. Um, but it's fine. It was so long ago. Mm-hmm. The hero proposes more than once because she says no. Uh, hero hides his true identity from heroin. He realizes really early that she doesn't know who he is and he just doesn't tell her and lets her believe that he's whatever she's come up with in her mind. Um, you know, love at first sight. Pretty much they fall in love very quickly. Um, yes, and but hero- it's believable. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But it's still like days. Like if I was his friend and I saw him on a Tuesday and then I saw him the following Wednesday and he was like, oh, no, now I'm like engaged to this woman. I'd be like, Ted, have we thought about this? But I get it. Like I was there for it. Well, it's funny, too, because they, you know, uh, uh, Claire even calls it out when when she thinks that they're over and she is thinking to herself, well, it's only been two days. Like. This can't. This heartache can't last forever, can it? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel this way in a couple months. And I thought that was such a. It's so true because I know anytime I've I dealt with heartbreak at this point, I think, okay, when am I going to be done with this? Like I'm still in it and I still feel it, but I'm like, okay, can I chart from this day of when we break up to the day I'm going to not hurt? Yeah. And it's just trying to navigate that time frame and you want to estimate it correctly so you know what to expect but you, sometimes you can't mm-hmm. and th- yeah. the the best thing though about heartbreak is that at some point you will look back and be like oh that was stupid that i even cared yeah well not stupid and- i even cared but i think you could there'll be a time when you're going to be able to look back and not have that um same emotion you had before it'll it'll morph into something else or stupid that you ever cared okay i hate to be that way i don't want to be that person right don't be that person you believe in love you spend so much time around love and romance it's you have to know it's gonna happen yeah it's weird because this i do wonder when everything goes back well it's not gonna go back to normal but when the dating scene is a place that isn't rife with disease or at least, you know, diseases I'm used to. (laughs) How will all of this romance reading help me in my endeavor? I'm interested too. I think our listeners are interested as well. So we need to get you, you know, once this is over, we need to get you out there and dating and we need to, we'll need to do some experiments. If there's any reason to get a vaccine, to put the vaccine on the fast track, it is so that our listeners can find out whether Clayton can have a functioning relationship or have a have a relationship at all. Like have a date, one date that leads to a second date. 
Yeah. That's the first step. That is the baby step. And then if that leads to a third date and then a relationship, I mean, that's Brave New World. Yeah. But we can only do that with with a vaccine. So what I'm saying is donate. (laughs) To whoever. Look, I'm not going to, I don't know who. You guys are better at that, probably. There, a lot of our listeners live more online than I do, so they'll know the appropriate mm-hmm. places to give money to. So, and I'll figure it out. You tell me. You guys tell us, and I'll throw a couple bucks that way too, because I'm Sounds- not going to just sit here and ask everybody to do my dirty work for me. You know, right? I've got to have some sort of, you know, agency in getting back out there. But you know, people are doing like Zoom dates. Yeah. Is that, do you thank God or whoever you believe, you know, moon God, I don't know, you know, wit, uh, some supreme witch or something. <laughs> do you think this, this deity or idea every day that you are in a relationship and you're not navigating dating in the era of pandemic Zoom dating I mean, it is, yeah, my heart goes out to people who are living alone right now. I think it's, like, incredibly difficult. Thank you and very I'm much. Hap- yep, you, you're you one of those people. I think, yeah, and I... I'm one of the true heroes. <laughs> Jeez. Let's not go too far. But I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm happy I'm in a relationship, and I'm happy it's a good relationship. Like, I, I, it, it must be very difficult right now if you are in you know, in a, in a rocky relationship and having to quarantine for this long, it must be tough. Yeah. Uh, what has you swooning this week? So my swoon this week is a book about Mike Nichols, the director mm. and in one of the first people to make improv famous. So don't hold that against him, <laughs> but it's a book called life. Isn't everything. Mike Nichols as remembered by 150 of his closest friends. So Mike Nichols has passed on, but what this book is, is it's kind of an oral history, but it doesn't go strictly chronologically. I mean, it goes a bit chronologically, but it's people talking about Mike Nichols and his work and how he personally impacted them. And it's a fascinating book. If you thought you knew a lot about Mike Nichols, which I thought I did, you don't, because this is a very interesting book. It's in that oral history sort of format, which is very readable, especially in these times where it's very hard to focus. So you don't mm-hmm. you don't have to read it the whole way through. You can pick it up, put it down, and not really lose your place. So I would say if you have any interest in Mike Nichols, if you have no clue who he is, he's the guy who directed The Graduate, and he directed The Birdcage, uh, he also did a movie close to my heart and, and producer Patty's heart closer. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that was all over the place. He was a big New York socialite. So I just really love this book. And I think it's a great read for anybody interested in, 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 in a creative life. I love, I love that. I love my nickels. Um, Fun fact is one of my mother's friends has a house uh, in Connecticut and on the other side of the valley is Mike Nichols' old farm. He had an Arabian horse farm. Yes, they talk about his horses in here. Yeah, Uh, and so you can kind of see it. I think his uh, widow sold it. Diane, Diane, what's her name? Diane Sawyer. 
Yeah, Diane Sawyer's. She sold it. I apparently she hated it. But I yeah. always, whenever I'm there and I look across the water, it like makes me smile because he seems like he was a wonderful person and so funny and so warm and yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so I would I would highly recommend that 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 this book, Life Isn't Everything. Aaron, what has you swooning this week? So I've been doing. I have had like basically the opposite of being in a reading slump, where like the only thing I'm doing to cope is just reading romance novels um you know to the detriment of productivity in every other aspect of my life which is fine and we're all doing what we can do uh but i finished an amazing series from scarlet peckham called the secrets of charlotte street so i feel like these books have been kind of everywhere so it's the lord i left uh the earl i ruined and the duke i tempted uh, so it's a three book series and it's really, really good. And initially I wasn't, you know, I, I heard they were really good, but I always heard that they had this sort of like BDSM sex club in the center of it. And I, I don't necessarily find those books particularly interesting in general. Um, but then I ended up picking up one of them and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I 100 like would recommend them. They're so well done. Um, the Earl I Ruined was my favorite, like, far and away. And it's basically about this uh, girl sort of accidentally tells this lie and gossips about this man. And it ends up getting out um, that he has these, like, weird sexual proclivities. And it might ruin him, but they decide that they have to try to get married to, like, stop that gossip. Um, and it's just fantastic and really, really well written. And I just love finding new authors and I don't know if she's a new author, like in general, uh, but new to me authors, I mean. Um, and the second series is Sophie Jordan's The Rogue File series. I don't know what took me so long to read Sophie Jordan. Like, I was asleep at the wheel. This series is amazing. It starts with um, while the Duke was sleeping. So it's basically while you were sleeping, but as a romance novel, like, olden times historical nice uh and then it just goes from there and it's so good and the characters are are different than you i've seen before um the second book it's a woman falling in love with her stepson's best friend um so a little taboo there as well and then and now i'm halfway through the duke buys a bride uh and they're just really well written so interesting i'm obsessed with them um, so if you're looking for a really great series, I would suggest either of those are, are fantastic. Well, Aaron, where can they reach us? Yeah. So you can always email us at learning the tropes podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at learning tropes and on Instagram at learning the tropes. And as always, we have the Facebook group, the learning the tropes troop. Um, come join us there. We talk about books and movies and, you know, sort of whatever's going on. It's really great. Um, Next week, we're reading The Bromance Book Club by Lisa K. Adams. So I'm excited for that one. I actually haven't read that one, but everyone loves it so much that I feel like we're probably going to like it. And it's already been optioned for Netflix series or movie. Netflix is doing something. Um, They're up to something. They're up to something. We'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, But (laughs) so big expose coming. What? An expose expose coming. coming. No, it's just us knocking on the door asking for jobs. Um, mm-hmm. 
But uh, all right. And so Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media backslash podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.